good morning, church, and it is good to be with you this morning. I want you to imagine a couple of things this morning. Uh, I want you to imagine uh, uh, an area of a hobby, uh, something that you enjoy, really, um, that you really enjoy, that you get into, that you love. Uh, maybe that's music or food or sporting events, whatever it is, I want you to imagine uh, the person who is best in that area right now. So maybe if you enjoy golf, you're saying, you know, the best uh, to play was Jack Nicklaus or, or maybe Tiger Woods, okay? And I want you to think, okay, what would amaze the person who is the very best in that area? So if you're thinking about golf, for example, and if it is Tiger Woods for you, what would it take for Tiger Woods, and you're golfing with him, and he says to you, wow, that was really good. What would it take for, for Tiger Woods at a golf shot that you hit to say, I'm really amazed at that? Now, maybe, maybe you're not into golf. Maybe, maybe you're into baseball or something. What would it take for Mike Trout, maybe the best uh, major league player in the game right now, to say, wow, I'm amazed, I'm impressed? What would it take? for Mike Trout to say of you, in anything to do with baseball, man, that was incredible. Now, maybe you don't care about sports. Maybe for you, it is um, you love interior design, right? You, 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 you just look around your home, and all you, you can see is, like, color palettes, and we ought to do this here, and we ought to do that there. I mean, what would it take for Martha Stewart or whoever your favorite interior design person is uh, what would it take for Martha Stewart to look at you and say, man, I am amazed, I'm impressed, wow, that was incredible. I mean, what would it take? What would it take for the person who, who does the thing that you enjoy to do, what would it take for them to say, wow, that's amazing? I mean, uh, if you enjoy cooking, okay, if you enjoy cooking, what, what would it take? What would it take for, for one of those food chefs, right? And there's like a thousand of them that are on television. What would it take for them to go, wow, that was incredible? What would it take? Take anything that you want and then ask yourself the question, what would it take for them to be amazed, for them to be impressed? For them to say, wow, that was amazing. I wonder this morning as we gather together in our homes around God's word, I wonder with you, what would it take for Jesus to say that he was amazed? What would it take, how would we live our life for God to say, wow? I mean, what would we do? church, what would we do? How would we live in such a way uh, that God himself was impressed? What would amaze God? Now, we're in this second week of the series, Amazed Again, and, and we're going to answer that question. What would amaze God? What would amaze Jesus? What would impress him? What would make God uh, step back and say, wow, Last week, we got together in this series, Amazed Again, and we said, 
hey, we need to be amazed again about the power and authority of God's Word, that it needs to shape us, that we need to be doing it, uh, that we need to not just come to Scripture to read the words, uh, we want to come to Scripture and be amazed again. And this morning we come, and in this series, Amazed Again, uh, we find ourselves amazed again by asking a question. What will amaze God? Now we're going to be in Luke's Gospel, and in the context here is that Luke has just recorded Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. Now I know some of you know about the Sermon on the Mount, and it, and it seems like Jesus preaches the same sermon more than once. This is Luke's Sermon on the Plain, and he has, he has begun to outline a life that is founded on the authority and the power of God's Word. In fact, he, he gives an illustration. He gives an analogy. At the end of chapter 6, uh, he begins to say, hey, if your life is founded on the Word of God and the power and authority of God's Word, then your life is built on a rock. You see, when, you're, you, when your life is, is built on hearing and doing the, the power and authority of God's Word, then what happens is that you build your life on a rock. Now, if you fail to do that, if you fail to build your life on the power and authority of God's Word, then what happens? Well, he says that your, your life is built on the sand. And the storms of life are going to come and and, and nothing's going to be left. All the sand's going to wash away, and there's going to be a crumbling of your life. And there's this interesting thing happens. Between that story and the one that we're going to visit this morning, God does something amazing in His Word. He actually gives us an example of a life that amazes God. And it begins with this whole uh, interaction uh, between hearing and doing. And here's the amazing part. Here's the impressive part. God's going to show us a person who builds their life on the power and authority of His Word and that who happens to amaze God. He's going to answer for us the question, what does it take to amaze God? How is it that I impress God? How is it that God Himself can step back and go, wow, I'm impressed? How is it that you and I live our lives in such a way that God says, wow? Well, this morning, we're going to look in a text where a man who isn't a Jew, he's a normal person just like you and me, amazes God. God steps back in the person of Jesus and says, wow. And he's going to help us discover this morning for you and I, for our life, when we have built our life upon the power and authority of God's word, what is it that makes God say, wow? What is it that amazes God? So if you want to answer that question with me this morning, I want to encourage you to open up your word. I want to open up the Bible with you. Go to Luke chapter 7 this morning. Go to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're in the New Testament. So if you go to the back third of your Bible, if you're following along, then open up your Bible, would you please? Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read the first eight verses of Luke. 
When Jesus had finished saying all of this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick, and he was about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. Because I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and and he does it. But what is it about this centurion? What is it about this centurion that amazes Jesus? that amazes God, that answers our question, what is it that amazes God? Well, one of the things that Luke wants to do with this particular person is he wants us to see the progression uh, from the wise and the foolish builders, the person who builds their life on the authority and the power of God's Word, uh, and he wants to, to have them put that into practice. And he does that through a very unlikely character. It is actually shocking that this is the character that he would choose. If you're a centurion, it means that you are a soldier that has charge of many other soldiers, at least 100. Uh, Some say uh, maybe that this person had 10 platoons of 10 or more people. So this guy has authority over a lot of people. And if you're a Jew, if you're sitting in the church uh, that, Luke, that Luke is writing to, you're thinking, uh, is it really a Gentile that could possibly amaze God? Is it, is it a Gentile that could possibly come and build their life on the authority and power of God's Word? I mean, but listen, uh, listen what happens to this, this non-Jew, to this Gentile. Look at verse 3, would you? Would you? In verse 3, the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some of the elders of the Jews to ask him, asking him to come and heal his servant. Now, I want you to notice something that Luke does quite intentionally here. In verse 3, he says the centurion heard of Jesus and then did something about it. He sent some of the elders of the Jews to plead with Jesus. What was it that we just read? What was it that Jesus had just said in chapter 6 about those who would build their lives on a foundation of rock? Those who would build their life on a foundation of rock are those who hear God's word and do it. Now, whatever this guy knows, he knows of Jesus just a little bit, and he hears of Jesus. Whatever he knows about Jesus, he knows that he has enough power, he hears about him, and he believes in it enough uh, that he's willing to do something with it. Luke is sending a powerful message with this person. 
by using the centurion, by using this person, this non-Jew, this Gentile, this normal person in the world, Luke is saying, God is saying to us in a powerful way that everyone has access to God. All of us have an opportunity to amaze Jesus. All of us can answer the question, oh, what is it, how is it that I can live that might impress God? Uh, how is it that I, I can live that, that I could live in such a way that, that, that God might step back and say, wow. Everyone has access to God. And I want you to hear something very clearly there are some things that the centurion doesn't do. You see, there's some things that don't amaze Jesus about this centurion. It has nothing to do with whether he's a Jew or a Gentile. There's just some things that don't impress Jesus. I mean, he acts on what he knows, verse 3, he hears, and, and then he sends the elders to go and ask Jesus about something. But did you notice that this centurion, this non-Jew, this Gentile, he doesn't really know Scripture. Do you notice that? Jesus is not amazed by the level of scriptural knowledge coming from this centurion. Uh, Jesus doesn't just come to him and begin to go, oh, oh man, oh, you have knocked it out of the park. Uh, how, many, how, many, how many weeks did you go to Sunday school? I mean, how many, how many verses did you memorize when you were a kid? I mean, this is amazing. Wow. That's not what we see Jesus saying. In fact, we get the sense that this guy is probably what Luke considers a God-fearer. He hasn't actually engaged with Jesus in any sort of relationship. He doesn't really know the God of the Jews yet. But he fears God. He kind of looks at God and says, I believe that he exists. And yet he's willing to act on what he knows. He probably doesn't know much of the Pentateuch. In fact, uh, the rest of the Gospels tell us that there's a whole lot of Jews that know a whole lot more Scripture than this guy. But can I tell you that Jesus is never impressed with how much we know about God's Word. I mean, you and I, quite frankly, could memorize the whole Bible. We could begin to recite it to Jesus. Oh, this is what you've said in your word. But that's never what amazes Jesus. In fact, there are some teachers and preachers of the law, it says in the Gospels, that knew a whole lot. They had memorized entire sections, books of the Bible. And Jesus isn't impressed. You know why he's not impressed? You know why he's not amazed with just scriptural knowledge? He's not impressed because scripture is meant, the power and authority that we found ourselves on that gives us a rock and a foundation for our whole life. Jesus isn't impressed just by scripture knowledge alone. Oh no. He's not impressed with that. Why? Because Scripture is meant so that we might pursue who Jesus is. So that we might pursue this relationship with God. Oh, know all you want. Memorize all you want. Go to the Sunday school classes, all of which are wonderful. But if you miss Jesus, then you've really missed the Scriptures. 
There's an old analogy that I like to use when it comes to talking about the scriptures and and that is if we want to found ourselves on the authority and the power of God's word to really begin to try and uh, come to a place where we actually might amaze Jesus with who we are. Uh, it's that we begin to use the scriptures as a window. We don't study the window. We look through the window so that we might understand who Jesus is. The scriptures are pointing to God. This guy. Jesus is not impressed by how much he knows. He's not impressed by how much he knows. He is impressed with something else. He is amazed about something else. But I want to tell you a few other things that Jesus isn't impressed with, with this guy. He doesn't come and he, he doesn't say, man, I, I'm impressed with your scriptural knowledge. You know something else that Jesus doesn't say here? He doesn't come to the centurion and go, oh, man, I am amazed at your leadership ability. I mean, this guy's a centurion. He probably makes a decent living. He has, he has a, a, you know, a, at least 100 men that he organizes, that he leads, that he gives orders to. I mean, the text tells us that, doesn't it? Uh, later on in chapter 1, when he's talking with Jesus, he said, I don't consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go when he goes, and that one, come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Uh, this guy has significant influence in the world. I mean, he's got connections. He's got a network. Could it be uh, that this very person has stood before Caesar? I don't know. But Jesus, in all of his leadership accolades and all the medals that may, may adorn his chest, he doesn't say, hey, you know what, I'm amazed at your leadership ability. He doesn't look at, G he doesn't, uh, look at this centurion man and go, oh man, that, that is the most amazing thing that I've ever seen. Wow! You know what? God may have given you some amazing ability to do amazing things. Maybe it's leadership or other things. But when Jesus comes and he hears the plea of this centurion man, it is not because of his leadership ability. It is not his ability to organize masses of people. It is not his influence. It is not his networking ability uh, to, to lead the masses Jesus isn't impressed with your following. Jesus isn't impressed with how many followers you have on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. No, 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 that, that sort of thing doesn't impress Jesus. Jesus isn't amazed at, at, at all of the things and the leadership that you might have. That's not what impresses Jesus. Even though this guy has it, even though he might use it for good, Jesus isn't amazed by his leadership ability. There's something else that doesn't, that, that when we come to this text, there's, there's something else that I want you to notice that, that Jesus looks at and says, I, I don't know that I'm amazed. I don't know that I'm amazed by that. Jesus isn't amazed by his good work. Did you notice this? I mean, the Jews who come to Jesus pleading for this man's life, the servant of the centurion, 
the Jews, the elders of the Jews, so significant people, uh, come to Jesus asking him, in verse 3, to heal his servant. And when they come to Jesus, verse 4, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this. Why? Because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Well, excuse me? What? He deserves to have this? Why? Because he's done some really good things. The centurion has probably made a home right there in Galilee. He probably has lived there a long time, and he's uh, begun to appreciate the people that he rubs shoulders with on a daily basis. With his, his influence and perhaps his wealth, what he has done is, is he has actually begun to say, hey, I want to serve the local community. And he builds them a synagogue. He builds them a place where they might come, uh, open up the scriptures and worship their God. He deserves this, Jesus. But we don't get any indication in all of the scripture that it, because of this guy's good work, because of the th great things that he did, that Jesus is like, whoa, whoa. Church, Jesus isn't amazed at all the good things that you have done. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do good things. I'm not saying that this guy was wrong in building a synagogue. It's wonderful. But this is not what Jesus steps back and goes, wow. Maybe you were part of a, a, a people who built this facility. Maybe you've done great things for many, 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 many years. And you're tempted to look back and go, oh, I, I've done all these really great things. Jesus must be amazed. But that's not what amazes God. In fact, there's something else that this text tells us that amazes Jesus. Are you ready? Are you ready for the answer? If you're ready for the answer, then look at verse 9. All of this has happened, and Jesus says, when Jesus heard this, he comes to him, he says, I don't, I don't deserve this, just say the word. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And he turned to the crowd, and he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men, who, the men who had then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Wow. What amazes Jesus? What makes Jesus step back and say, Wow, what, what impresses God? What is it that amazes God is your faith? Your faith. He says it might not be any of those other things, and, and perhaps those things can be the outworkings of your faith, uh, but the thing that amazes God, the thing that makes Jesus step back and go, wow, the thing that impresses God about the way that you choose to live your life, uh, founded on His uh, authoritative and powerful word, is your faith in Him. Your faith. 
The centurion demonstrates his faith by, rec- you know, uh, by showing Jesus uh, that he is willing to accept his authority. He comes humbly and accepts the authority of Jesus. Did you notice that in the text? There's a, there's a contrast by even how the Jews see this man and how this man sees himself in light of who he knows Jesus to be. Recognize how he demonstrates his faith. Look again. The elders of the Jews come to him, and notice what they say in verse 4. They came to Jesus, and they pleaded earnestly with him, This man, and there's the word, deserves to have you do this. He deserves it. He needs to have it, Jesus. But notice how the centurion, as he can't even bring himself to come to Jesus, but sends other servants to talk to Jesus on his behalf, he says, I don't deserve it. Look at verse 7. I didn't consider myself worthy to come to you. Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. And as a man who has great authority, he recognizes the authority of Jesus. He says, hey, I I know what authority is because I've had some. I can tell this servant to go and that platoon to go. I can tell those men to go jump off that cliff and those people to go over there. And what he's saying, what God is saying, is our faith, our faith is tied in with our submission to the power and authority of his word. When we recognize the power and authority of God's word and who he is, in great faith, we come and we bow before God. And we say, I don't know all of the authority that I have in this world, but I know, I know whose I am now. I stand under the authority of Jesus, and I will submit to you. I don't deserve this, but it's all for you. And he submits himself diligently under the authority of of who Jesus is. And Jesus says, and the text tells us, that Jesus stands amazed at his faith. And do you catch what he says next? Don't miss it. In a religion that came from the Jews, Luke is trying to say everybody has access. This Gentile has access. And he says, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. Now, I don't know whether that means that Jesus has found such great faith just in his ministry, which is highly likely. He's been in other places. Remember chapter 4 that we were just in? Uh, He goes into the place where he grew up, and it doesn't seem like there's any faith in who Jesus is. But if this is all of Israel for all time, think about Think about the people that Jesus might be referring to. Abraham, David, Moses. I've not found any with such great faith. It took a normal guy who didn't have all that many credentials. He didn't have all the scripture knowledge. But he wasn't trying to amaze Jesus. He just simply came and said, I'll submit to your authority because I know that you are the authority. And Jesus says, this is great faith.
church, can I challenge you this week, this month, this year, your lifetime to continue to be amazed by God's word, set your life on the power and authority of his word, but as you do so, as you live for Jesus, would you, would you begin to say, I don't know it all. I don't deserve anything. But I will place myself under the authority of God and his word no matter what. And I will trust him to say the word. And I will practice my faith by hearing and by doing by coming humbly. Church, what is it that amazes Jesus? It's faith. Faith that is lived out by hearing and doing. Set your life upon the rock. Set your faith in Jesus. The greatest part about ending a message like this is being able to turn and recognize that there are some people who have set their life and their faith in Jesus. We had some people come in this week, the Watson family, and they decided that they are going to say to Jesus, you're the authority, and our faith and our trust is in you. And they demonstrated that in the baptistry. So as I close, you're going to get to see them baptized. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you, and we want to serve you. Lord, may you fill us with faith. May we begin to believe and trust in who you are and all that you do. And may you have authority over us. Lord God, I pray that we would not stray in any one of the trails of things that we think might amaze you. But I pray, Lord, that our faith would be enlarged and that we would learn to trust you. And we thank you, Lord, for those who are placing their trust in who you are and all that you've done. And we rejoice with you, Lord. We celebrate with you that people are founding their lives on the rock. We love you in Jesus' name.